0: KUNV-FM, and HD1 Las Vegas. This is Impact, the daily look at how we are coping with the coronavirus in Nevada. I'm Carrie Kaufman. You want info? Go to the source. To prepare for tonight's show, I talked to a bunch of teachers and administrators and parents asking what they wanted to know from Superintendent Jesus Jara. Boy, was the response overwhelming. When are we going back to school? How are we going to go back to school? What will our district look like? Why can't we get clear communication? How much money will we lose in our budget? We're going to be taking your comments and questions tonight via CCSD Parents uh, Facebook page. That's Facebook slash group slash CCSD Parents or Twitter at NV Voice. We will ask for your questions and more of Dr. Jara tonight. But first. So we're going to go to the news right now. We're going to go to the Washington Post uh, numbers of deaths. We we do this every single day. We've got about uh, 3.6 million cases reported worldwide right now, 250, almost 251,000 reported deaths. That's up from about 238,000 on Friday, Mondays are really, really hard for these numbers. In in uh, the U.S., we have sixty eight thousand one hundred and sixty six deaths. That's about four thousand more people, and a one point one seven five million cases in the U.S. In Nevada, we're holding pretty steady. We 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 did jump up past the five thousand mark. We are at uh, now. F- 5,491. That's about 200 or so, 250 more cases than last, uh, than Friday. And we are up to 262 people who have died in Nevada from coronavirus, most of them in uh, Clark County because we are the biggest county. It is Monday and every Monday we are joined by Rebecca Garcia. Rebecca is one of the Uh, moderators for the CCSD Parents Facebook page.
1: Welcome to the show, Rebecca. Good evening, Carrie. Welcome back Monday, right? Hey,
0: welcome back Monday. Yeah, it's hard reading those numbers. It's hard looking at those numbers on a Monday. They go up. They keep going up. We have not reached a point in which we're going down yet, and that's very worrisome. And I saw something today, my God, where uh, the CDC actually, uh, there's a report that was never published that the Washington Post dug up that predicts up to 200,000 new cases each day by June 1st. This is just in the U.S. And at that point, we'll be having 3,000 people dying a day. This is a month from now. We will be having, you know, more people like, you know, we'll be having New New York numbers, but just all over the country. I'm not sure I'm ready for that.
1: Yeah, I think it's a, it's always a hard thing to comprehend. And I understand people, you know, there's so much unknown, they get frustrated, and they want everything open again. My sister, who's been in hospital management for a long time, shared a post on Facebook that really resonated with me, you know, the purpose is to flatten the curve to allow for space and capacity in in hospitals so that the response people can get the healthcare that they need. Um, But the reality is, this isn't going anywhere. And we may be the one that needs that extra space that mm. was made. And it may be a very tired healthcare team yeah. that's caring for us because of how long and protracted this has been. So, you know, all of our personal decisions play a role in that response.
0: Interesting. Uh, we're going to be talking, hopefully, this week, if not next, to a nurse from Las Vegas who went to New York to uh, to help out there. And I'm wondering, as hotspots come up over the country, uh, if medical personnel from various cities will just kind of go there as as a, sort of a mass unit.
1: Well, you know, I think that's something that you see repeatedly. I worked for the Red Cross for many years, and I think people who work disasters, healthcare, care, um, they even when times are difficult, they want to go and help. And so I think you're right. We will probably continue to see that because that's just part of that profession.
0: Right. Uh, I also want to note that uh, Jim Murin, who used to run the MGM and now runs the Governor's Coronavirus Task Force, says he wants to do 30,000 COVID-19 tests per day in Nevada by the end of May. So if the numbers do go up, at least hopefully we can have more people here tested so that we know who's had the virus, who hasn't had the virus, uh, all those kinds of things. Although I don't know if antibody testing will be part of that. But I'm going to move on right now. Uh, You were busy doing interviews uh, with an army of people who are running for school board. My hat is off to you. Uh, This week is District
1: A, which is my district. Who's on tap for that? So we're actually finishing up the last of the interviews right now. We've been doing them for three weeks now, and we're doing the catch-up with people who we missed. Ah. Um, But tonight, we from A, we um, uh, interviewed Mr. Nair, who's running in District A, but we had already interviewed five or six of other candidates from that district. That's a very crowded race, like most the others. In four races, there's 28 people running. Um, So it'll be really interesting to see how the primaries turn out. And it's been very interesting to see the dynamics in the different districts and who people and which people are running and what kind of questions that's brought up from the parent group.
0: Yes. So, well, you know, uh, you interviewed Katie, but that we don't need to talk about Katie. The fascinating one, the fascinating two interviews, which I actually did watch over the weekend, uh, were uh, with Lola Brooks. I think this is District E, correct? Um, uh, correct. Lola Brooks is the uh, uh, incumbent uh, and she's the only actually incumbent that's, that, that's the facing The only incumbent
1: any. on the ballot.
0: Right. And, um, and she is also the chair of the trustees. And uh, and then you had a a, a a thing with her opponent, Alexis Salt. Now, Alexis is pretty uh, pretty out there on social media and gets criticism for that. Um, and on the other hand, Lola gets criticism for you know being inflexible and being condescending, which you address. You address both of these issues with them. But what I saw as I was sort of watching this was that this is a, a really, really polarized choice. I mean, this is a choice between... You know, sort of like putting your flag in and saying, I want the status quo or I'm willing to take a risk on somebody
1: who might just kind of blow the whole thing up. And I don't... Sorry, it's also been interesting that um, there are actually seven, I believe, candidates in District E running. Um, And initially, we only heard back from those two. Uh, Mm -hmm. We got four total that finally responded. And tonight, uh, we also talked to Elisa Arroyo, who's running in District E. Um, But one of the other very local people on social media who's running in that race, Tiger, um, has refused to participate in the interviews. Um, We've tried to contact him multiple times. So it's it's interesting how there's a dynamic between the two that are well known in education. Mm -hmm. Um, But then if you look at social media, there's some additional dynamics going on. Um, So it's a really... Complex uh, race compared to some of the others, and it'll be interesting to see. That's a Summerlin. A lot is mm-hmm. covered in that district, and a lot of people who don't have kids in school are in that voting district.
0: Interesting. Uh, very interesting. I uh, well, let's, let's get to the interview here. We've got uh, uh, Dr. Jara hanging on the line, uh, and uh, there's our interview music. Tonight, we are talking to CCSD Superintendent Jesus Jara. Uh, this may be an extended interview. I'm warning okay. listeners that it's going to be an extended interview. We're going to take your questions tonight via Twitter at NVVoice, that's for Nevada Voice, or uh, Facebook slash groups slash Parents. There, uh, there should be something that was posted there earlier today, and you can just comment there. And uh, I will, we will be monitoring that. Uh, we're talking to Dr. Jara tonight about the future. Near future and far future. We will get to what's going on with graduation and plans for fall, but I want to start a little broader. In the last decade or so, one of the most used and ill defined buzzwords has been disruptor. Whatever else this may be, this virus is a major disruptor. And there is no shortage of people opining now on how this has opened a path to a new way of living and thinking. Of doing education, so we're going to talk about how CCSD can possibly take advantage of this new way of doing things. This is the first of many conversations we're going to have with stakeholders, and tonight we are starting with Superintendent Jesus Jara. Dr. Jara, welcome to the program.
2: Well, thank you, Carrie. Thank you for having me. I'm, I'm excited to be here with you. So, hi, Rebecca,
1: hi, Rebecca. Hello, Dr. Jara. Thanks for coming and joining us. Um,
0: So we're going to start out with this wide lens, um, but I do want to talk about specific ideas within the wide lens. The Education Universe has been writing about and talking about different ideas for teaching kids for a long time. You had to have given your vision before you got hired. So what is your vision of a well-run, impactful school district?
2: Well, that's a that's a great question, Carrie. And, and let me say this: I mean, uh, first of all, it's Teacher Appreciation Week, and, and we've been sending our messages. You know, this uh, this week is a little bit different and challenging because of uh, all our business partners closed. I know we're still working, but I just wanted to thank all our teachers for the hard work that they do every single day. And jump right in immediately to really. Transition from the brick and mortar to a distance education. So mm-hmm. I'm really proud of our 18,000 teachers. Before I get started on, on some of the thinking that we've had, um, just say thank you to our teachers. Okay, cool. Now, now, you know, yeah, the vision. So when you look at urban school systems, especially, you know, as big as we are, one of the things that really calls out for successful world class are those that have a standardized three it's what i call three pillars a standardized assessment a standardized really for monitoring and and giving the teachers the tool a standardized curriculum instructional materials and then professional development when we started moving into that direction and i thought that we were moving in a in a great direction before covid-19 really we had the we had implemented for the first time a standardized um, assessment system to give teachers actual data to our students academic achievement now we were moving into the instructional materials and and obviously professional development so now this is put a you know when you really back up and say I need a highly effective supported teacher that's critical and I say supported because obviously our, our school-based administrators have to be very supportive because we know that the research is very clear. It's the classroom teacher that really makes the largest um, academic improvement in students, and then the second one is the leader. So we were really investing and putting time into investing in our leaders and our teachers. Now, COVID-19, and when we really look at and the conversations that we're having, not only internally, and also with my colleagues across the country, not only with the Council of Great City Schools, but then also with the National Association of Superintendents. It's really, and I don't want to say take advantage, but do we capitalize, as you said, Carrie, of the disruption that has caused, Mm -hmm. that has been caused by COVID, to then when we come back as a school system, we need to come back differently. How do we spend the time to really rethink what we're doing in our schools to provide a high-quality education for all children. So, are when you, you having
0: at, those conversations with the people who actually run your schools right now?
2: Well, right now, what I and, and, and when you look at um, we, I have that I'm having the conversations with my central team, really high level, and I'm not getting putting anything down on paper. But what I did mention to the board was um, that we are going to have a working group that I mentioned that to the board a week ago in our last board presentation. So we're finalizing that on Thursday at our board meeting, we will be sharing a little bit more um, on on who, what, and when. Uh, But what we're going to have is we're going to include teachers, we're going to include administrators, we're going to include, when I say administrators, not only central, but also um, school base. We're going to include my operations we're, because it's not only are we going to do we need all the buses. So really being thinking, thinking out of the box so we need our operations team. We're mm. going to include parents. I've asked Rebecca. I know that uh, Rebecca because she sits in my parent group so we can have representation from parents as well and also state level folks because do we capitalize on when and I, I appreciate you saying because when we come back in august when and how and if right 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 what does it look like right and we don't know but we have to be ready to go in a different direction i just reviewed a a document um, from um um one of the associations that i aasa and we're already getting reports for how denmark has come back how china how's japan vietnam how they're. so we're compiling what international data So then we can then create our own. And so.
0: So Hard one of the things, I'm, I'm going to interrupt you here. One of the things that uh, you mentioned, China and, and Denmark and what have you, when I see pictures, I see people wearing masks. Uh, you put yep. out a phase one plan the other day that makes masks optional. Now, the phase one plan, to be perfectly honest, and this I didn't understand at, at, at first, somebody just uh, uh, hinted at, at me. Um, the phase one plan is for teachers and custodians and school staff to come back to school and, and clean out their rooms and also return belongings that students may have left there. Is that correct?
2: Correct. The phase one and once phase one is, is called the current, the, and, and again, in the, in, in the, if you re, listen to what I've said, things change. Things change daily. Right. Um, the CDC guidelines that we're getting now, right now is it's only if you're working that the face masks are needed if you're working close to another employee, and and that's that's what the guidelines we're getting. Now we're making them optional, and, and that's part of what we are going to have now. It may change by the time phase one is called. Mm. It may change in a different direction. So we were just, you know, and, and I, I wanted to also put something out because I wanted people to know that we are planning, you know, and I think part of the criticism that we get is that we don't communicate Mm-hmm. Uh, enough um, so it was to say here's where we are today um, once phase one is called the first part is that we have between five to seven days to start calling folks in so it's 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 forward-thinking and then three three one to three days and then also day one so it was very carefully crafted to mm-hmm. say five to seven days one you have a week to get ready Then you have three days, and then you have one day, and then you have the day of, on a phase one, who comes to work. So really, it it was an effort to say, we need to start disinfecting, and obviously our our buildings have been closed. Mm -hmm. So it was to say, before staff or employees or anybody comes in, we're going to go in and disinfect and take care of our our schools, have our maintenance start coming back in as as a whole, our grounds, and start working. Because we can then manage the social distancing.
0: Okay. So phase right. one will not yes. start until the governor says we're in phase one. Yes?
2: Correct. And okay. then we have five to seven days to get ready.
0: Okay. So one of the things I want to go back to what you, you said about your view coming in, I believe I heard you say that, that one of the things you were looking at is standardized testing, um, standardized assessments. Uh, that is – a major thing that teachers uh, complain about all the time, actually, uh, this, you know, they, they, they want to get rid of the standardized testing, maybe only have one. I've heard lots of good yeah. things about maps. I like maps, but that's, you know, that's just my personal thing. Um, if federal funding were not tied to testing, would you still keep it in?
2: Well, here's there's two there's two different types in Carrie, and I appreciate you do like MAP because I think what we get with MAP, the MAP Growth Assessment, it gives us a snapshot of where the kids are right. at that point in time.
1: And what they need to work on
2: and specifically. Get, and then you get the And data you right can away. get
1: it in real time. I think as a parent you and get, teachers, that yes. seems to be the biggest part of feedback that I get versus SBAC, where by the time everybody gets who, the results, the kid's not even in the school half the time right, anymore. Right,
0: right, right.
2: Okay. Correct. So that's what I'm. So, so to me, when you really look at the map growth, that's an interim assessment that gives me. So then it gives the, the child and the parent and the teacher the tools, and then we offer that three times. So then it it it, it gives us uh, and it's goal setting for kids and families. So it, that would be ideal. Mm-hmm. Uh, the SBAC is a, is a is a obviously the summative um, that is tied to the federal dollars. Right. So if if you were to ask me what am I going to do? if we're going to have and use data that we cannot drive instruction, then what's the purpose? That's the frustration that we all have as educators because then we, we don't – there's nothing that we can do with the data.
0: So one of the things, things
1: that – to Okay, okay Rebecca, what go we ahead. We all said that we were all going to uh, – our problem is all three of us could talk forever. Yes. Um, <laughs> You know, I think one of the challenges as parents that we look at, and you and I have had this conversation before, though, is that when you just take MAP by itself, that sounds like a reasonable expectation. But then you layer Mm -hmm. on SBAC, and then you layer on interims, and then you layer on some buildings making the choice to continue Mm -hmm. additional types of assessment, Um, you know, then where do we find that balance, especially, you know, the challenge that comes down to is with the reorganization and what the district can control versus what is a site-based decision. And as parents, I think sometimes it's hard for us to understand, you know, who's making those choices, and if we don't agree with them, how can we um, express those concerns? Because for many parents, when all of those tests add up, that's where yep. the frustration comes
0: exactly yes. yes so i'm going to go back to it again if federal dollars were, did not did <laughs> not mandate back testing would you would you keep it or would you get rid of it
2: i so carrie you are really putting me in, a, in, a, in a tough, this is a this is a tough <laughs> this is a tough interview so I, i'll t- i mean i think we also have to get a summative assessment i mean so if you're telling me that in my in my re, in my um, rethinking school, then we don't have a name just yet. I just want I just want to know. Um, I just want everybody to know what, what we're looking at. If um, I would like, you know, it's an opportunity for us to rethink how we do assessment. And I would tell you, I think it's important to have what we have with uh, interim, which is your MAP growth. That's an interim assessment. But then we also need, at the end of the day, um, a um, an assessment that tells me what the kids learn at the end of the time so is it SBAC? I don't you know I, I think that's one that's aligned to the current Nevada standards um, is, is there a better assessment that gives me more real-time data I would rather have that if we're going to use it to drive instruction and driving support, so, so why not would, give that would, to
0: would, your uh, to your site to your principals and to your teachers on site? I mean, I totally agree with you that data is very important, but they can come up with uh, innovative ways to get real time data. Yeah.
2: And that's part of what the I'm going to tell you. Um, I, I think we're 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 in a point right now is because there's project based learning. There's a lot of different ways that we can assess student growth and academic growth that really makes sense, and that's where you know we're we're going to have some of those conversations in the group. I'm going to push the team to really think about some of that, um, some of that thinking. Have some of that thinking available for for our teachers and our kids. Ultimately, is how do we lighten the burden for teachers? Right, mm-hmm. so we can really focus on instruction, how do we then help our students achieve, and then our principals lead and and we're going we're going to write it down up and and that's something that um you know I'm really interested in doing too as long as our kids are learning and then we then really think about um you know in my own thinking um Carrie is to say, why do we have to go back to why couldn't we have a a a a really a school system that it's really around competency-based learning,
0: mm-hmm. right? Why mm-hmm. do
2: we have to, yes. you know, why do we have <laughs> to sit in in school for 180 days if I can learn Algebra 1 in 120 days, right? True. So, So I'm going to really push to think about, and then some kids may need 200 days, right? right? So I think that's where it, if we can indiv- individualize learning for students and support teachers that way, that's... That's where um, I'm excited about where we are. You know, I know the health is important and we need to really, but I think it's capitalizing on where we are and get our best thinking from our educators. So
0: what you're saying is yeah. we will we will stay with some sort of distance learning or some sort of blended learning as we move forward?
2: That's that's on the table.
0: Okay. Uh, so I'm going to move from, from that. To, Rebecca, did you want to ask something about this? Do you want to I was chip just going to
1: ask, you know, it sounds so many of these things sound good. Obviously, I'm one of those parents that's happy to put my voice forward and, and discuss how we can make this better. I passionately believe in specialized learning. I think a great thing to look at is the IB program. My kids are in yep. IB and right. I see that portfolio based learning and
0: exactly. project based
1: learning and how it complements kids, um, that inquiry. But CCSD is massive. You're the fifth largest school district in America. Uh, You're the largest employer in the state of Nevada. uh, And we've had significant decades of underfunding. Yes. And so. And we will have more now. Yeah. and, And as a parent for 14 years in CCSD, I love the thinking and I know we have amazing staff that can drive that discussion, but at the end of the day, what do you think is realistic to achieve moving that big of a ship? Because that's been one of the problems that always happens with communications, with mm-hmm. logistics, uh, with yeah. distance learning, pushing this massive Titanic. Sorry, that was a bad choice. Of words. Yeah, that was a bad massive. choice of words. Um, <laughs>
0: <laughs> QE2. We're pushing the QE2. Yeah, the
1: exactly. massive QE2. Without, yes. Yeah, with, with inadequate funding. Mm-hmm. What well, is and, reasonable and, yeah. to expect?
2: No, and that's a great point, Rebecca. And and, and um, as much as I like to innovate and think outside the box, and you're right, uh, we are we're massive. Um, it, we're not we're not a small. You know, I mean, when you really look at the closest one here in the state of Nevada, sixty five thousand children, which is in Reno, one of my regions is bigger than that. Right. Um. So you're 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 right. It would be something that you know we have to have multiple. And that the thing we have to have multiple plans, multiple ways to push. Because I think we, in, in this thinking that I was thinking, that is that has got to be a small uh, thinking, and it's got to be methodical. And it may not be next year, but I, but that's where I would like to. When I go back to what Kerry said, mm-hmm. what's your vision? Mm-hmm. If we can get to that in multiple years, mm-hmm. um, right with the, the with the appropriate funding. That's one. Then the other piece is what do we? how do we deal with making sure that our children and our staff are safe
0: mm-hmm. and
2: healthy and we're, we're providing them the, the education? That's going to be a different conversation and a different okay, so, model, but all included within that group.
0: Okay, so I want to get into that because, again, a lot of people have talked to me about they don't – a lot of people, a lot of teachers right now are not – teaching writing and math and science they're checking in with their their students to make sure their students okay they are calling their students who aren't responding and who aren't showing up in uh, the daily check-ins or uh, teaching whatever Uh, because honestly once you tell a kid this this quarter isn't going to count they're not going to show up again but the teachers are worried about them uh, the teachers are dealing with psychological issues because they can't really separate work from, from their home life. Uh, and the kids are, de- are dealing with psychological issues. Uh, there, are, you know, there are kids that teachers worry about that they needed a hug every day. And the, the teachers mm-hmm. are sitting at home going... Who's hugging them? Like those, those kinds right. of basic things. How and do And the parents
1: m- just lost their job.
0: And the parents just lost their job. Or, uh, and or the parents are, uh, you know, they're, they're living in, a, in an abusive household. And that's been going up also. So um, how are we going to deal with the, the social and emotional stuff? I think that when yeah. kids come back to school, they're going to need that. And so are teachers more than anything else.
2: No, I agree with you. I think, I mean, I heard that loud and clear. I've had two roundtables with uh, teachers. And that's when one teacher said, superintendent, you know, I'm a, you know, I teach seniors. And I'm I'm Ugh. I'm trying to just to connect to one of my, my students that's homeless um, right. and was homeless. And then another one that's working 40 hours a week because mom and dad lost their job. And now he is um, taking care of the family. And I said, you know what? And she's stressed because of. The conversations that we're having, and I, my, I said, "Well, you heard it from me. I want you to right now to take care of the kids, and just have that—not a—you can't hug them, but that virtual hug that somebody cares, mm-hmm. um, because they're dealing with adult issues. And now we, as adults, I mean, there's days that I wake up in the morning, and and they're tough days, but and 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 I can't only—I can only imagine what parents are going through right now. So what I've said to. We have to take care of the wellness, the health and wellness of our kids and our families and our teachers and our adults first. That's number one. Um, so I don't want folks to stress that we need to to, to really get into teaching the standards and, and really get focused on that because, you know what, we need to take care of the mental health of everyone first and then get into the conversations around making up the loss and learning when we come back, whenever that is.
0: Right. And Are you that's having that's conversations with of... your... Go ahead, Rebecca.
1: Sorry. So a lot <laughs> of people then ask the next question of, then why don't we just call it a year? Like, why, if yeah. if we all recognize, and I think, I mean, if you don't recognize it, I'm, that's surprising but yeah i mean everybody is under just a tremendous load of stress and unknown and that's in the best of situations with privilege um but so then so many people say that if it is all about the health and welfare then and nothing is counted you know in the sense of grading then why don't we just call it a year and start fresh in august what's your answer to that
0: that's a great question
2: that is a great question. And some of my colleagues across the country, actually, in Georgia, Texas, and Washington, D.C., um, superintendents, because um, there was flexibility um, from the state, up, uh, and the, the superintendent said, we just can't do this anymore. Let's just, you know, let's last three weeks, and, and they closed the school system. Um, unfortunately, the decision, you know, obviously was made. We're going to continue doing what we can. Um, you know, and I said to the to our, our staff is to really follow up on on what is being directed from the Department of Education to make sure that um you know obviously our employees get paid and and the funding but I, I you know um I would tell you the focus is really on the of the the wellness for our, our our staff and our and our kids. Um we are doing wellness checks as well. We sent out social workers and and um, and some other folks out into their homes, those kids that we have not put our eyes on them right um, to check in and 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 say, "Where are you uh, and then at the same time, we continue and I want to make sure that because we, we 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 deployed um, last Saturday Chromebooks uh, and we're going to continue to deploy them this Saturday and ongoing and I know school is closing, but I want I want students to to have chromebooks because then we can at least get them on some educational programs that we have over the summer to, to really well, at least 45 minutes a week to minimize the instructional loss when they come back to us um, in August. And that's However, and again again again
0: though that that like sort of um, uh, points out the divide because even absolutely. if kids have chromebooks they're not necessarily going to use them or use them for instructional purposes. Uh, so that's that's sort of like a – and, well, and, I, and I, can, I can tell you, you know, my kids don't uh, – you know, if they're forced to do their work because it's due, they'll do their work. Otherwise, they've been letting yeah. things slide. I want to I move on here because we – we, I don't want to spend hours on the phone with you here. Um, you mentioned budget. You mentioned Department of Education. Did you mean the U.S. Department of Education or the Nevada Department of Education?
2: No, the Nevada Department of Education.
0: Okay. Uh, so – how much are we looking at in terms of how we will, how much we will lose in our school budgets, which were already to the bone to begin with?
2: Yeah, no, and I'm glad you mentioned we were already to the bone um, as far as funding. We have the largest class size, and I put out to, you know, I put out the op, uh, the op ed that I did on the Vegas Sun on um, on the COVID slide. The concern that I have, and then also this is a time. You know that education needs to be preserved because we already, we were already with the la- largest class size mm-hmm. um, in the country, mm-hmm. and we were. You know, when you really look at it, in the bottom of, of funding in education. So, so when you look at that, and then you look at where we are, and I understand, but if we don't invest to, to, or at least to continue to support our students, then we're going to continue. Our kids are. Are going to be left behind competing with their counterparts across the country right when you really when you so the the latest that we've you know we heard obviously when the governor on the fourteen percent on department heads we haven't heard if that's including the Department of Education last two weeks ago we were told that we were we would have an answer. Um, by the first week in May, which was this week, and then last Friday we heard that it will be sometime in May. Um, So we don't have a number from the state. Now what I can tell you is that uh, we signed on um, as part of the Council of Great City Schools um, as one of the 62 school systems that we are lobbying, or I wouldn't say lobbying, advocating for uh, another stimulus to really come directly to school systems from the federal government to the tune. of $172 billion um to come for the to for the internet connectivity for the instructional support for special for our special needs about a thirteen point one billion dollars uh for special needs because obviously um the students that are most vulnerable kids right now um, you know we're 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 struggling because of the distance education to right. meet their needs. Right. So there's going to be some some compulsory, compulsory education that's going to compensatory education that's going to be needed for our students uh, with special needs. And so the money you're talking about
0: now is in addition to the regular Title One money.
2: It's in addition to the regular Title One money, and it's in addition to the CARE Act, and it's in addition to what was submitted and sent out on the two trillions the first. And this one is, you know, we're asking as as superintendents that the money come directly to the school systems.
0: And fourteen, if if the governor uh, goes through with that fourteen percent, fourteen percent would be how much for this district?
2: Well, we're still see it has to be fourteen percent from the state, and then we'd have to wait what Ah. what that cut would be to the DSA. Um, and then we're waiting. Which, and that's then we the bring that out the magic
1: on. ball that nobody quite knows how to translate that. Well, maybe Jason Gowdy does, but that, that does seem to be the continual challenge in Nevada is taking it from the state to the district. What will that look like?
0: Right. Yeah.
2: And that's the number that we're waiting on.
0: Okay. Uh, we'll, we'll get back to that and, and, and we'll re- report on that when it happens. Um, maybe with Jason Gowdy, actually. Um, and, and and all indications are here that um, we're going to be having social distancing, and uh, this may not be over by August, right? You're going to bring kids to school. We've got a Twitter question here about this. Classrooms are ridiculously overcrowded, uh, yep. and, um, and, you know, there's 40 kids in a class. How are we going to keep kids safe and distanced when we mm-hmm. have 40 kids per class and a teacher shortage.
2: Yeah, no, absolutely. And and that's um you know, I had a, and, and I'm gonna tell you our prince I'm so proud of our principals. Our principals have been very very creative. Um uh, some a little bit more than others. <laughs> and, and and they've you know they've they've sent me, you know, whether we go, you know, staggered, maybe break up into thirds. Um, you know, the kids come Monday, another group on Tuesday, another group on Wednesday. Uh, You know, and then, you know, and then Friday distance education, I've had another group that tells me, um, you know, and they're sending me emails. So they have ideas. Go ahead and people know how to get a hold of me. Um, The other idea was maybe, you know, a a certain Monday on Tuesday, clean, deep clean the buildings every night, but then a deep clean on Wednesday come Thursday and Friday. You know, these are the things that we're going to really I'm going to push on on the working group to really come up with solutions because, you know, and I noticed I didn't call it a task force because mm-hmm. this is going to be a group that's going to work <laughs> and be part of our solution.
0: And Rebecca, you're part of that group?
1: Uh, I believe so. We, we've talked about she it and just waiting and for it to yes. start rolling out.
0: Okay. Uh, so um, ta- I
1: wanted to ask on that too with the class sizes, and um, obviously that's something I know. One of the things too is, you know, My youngest is a third grader. Like, she doesn't understand the concept of six feet apart. Um, (laughs) And kindergartners and pre-K kids, that's a totally bizarre concept, too. And so I think that that's going to be one of the real dynamics that people don't always take into consideration is just the social behavior of kids makes some of these concepts really difficult. And then like I hear educators saying we need to divide out the day and things like that. And that makes sense in a lot of ways. But like I have kids and, you know, spaced out every two years in school, if each of them are going to school on different days Mm. or at different hours, um, how in the world am I going to make that work? for my family. And yeah, so yeah. Um, those are some of the issues that I know that I'm, I don't i don't know that I have solutions, but I think this is such a complex thing and it affects yeah. people in different ways. And that's why I've been, yeah. I, I think it's important that parents and educators and operations people and administrators are gonna be on that working group.
2: Yeah, no, Rebecca and I, I'm gonna, one of my colleagues this uh, morning from uh, Missouri talked about their cal- how do you even do recess,
0: mm-hmm.
2: or, right? And, right. I mean, and we're putting together, we've already started looking into, if you go into, you know, we're, we're looking to invest in, in some of those signs that you see in the grocery stores for social distance, those mats. I mean, we're, we're those are the things that we're thinking through.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but it, those things we, that adults don't pay attention to all the time? <laughs>
0: right. Sorry. Yeah. That yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: right, that's that is that is the the, the problem, right? Like, I, I wanted to I wanted to to talk about this a little bit because there there are parents who care and who are involved and know what's going on and even watch school board meetings every once in a while. And uh, there are parents who are like, "What? What's happening? You're doing what in school?" Um, so, and the parents who care, like I, I feel like part of the disconnect is that people try to, uh, to interface with the school district and they get jargon, uh, that they don't necessarily understand. Uh, they're, they're confused by things that are going on. Um, you know, they ask questions and they're told, well, those are the rules or, or that's what the law says. And, and I, you know, I've, I've had these conversations with, with some people on your board, um, about how just to create a more inviting environment for parents. So have you thought about that? Have you thought about some sort of media campaign? Welcome to the new CCSD post-coronavirus. Is there some sort of message that you, that you have thought about and, and are planning sort of overall to connect with parents?
2: No, not yet, but that's going to be obviously very important. Um, not yet, um, Carrie, to be honest with you. Okay. But that's got to be part of the messaging, and that's part of the, how do we communicate this to the masses.
0: Yes. Um, yeah, and that's, also— That's going to
2: be—that's important.
0: And also, one of the things I was working on before coronavirus hit was was teachers who were leaving the district. I, I talked to a, a few of them uh, and trying to get statistics. And there are a lot of people who leave the district because uh, of the way they're treated, because they don't feel appreciated. And I don't know that this is a central problem. I think it's, a, it's the, the fact that we have different leaders in different schools who treat people in different ways. But, you know, we just lost a really great teacher, Tilly Torres, who went, who left CCSD. Um, there are There are good teachers who go to L.A., and L.A. is bigger than we are. So yeah. um, what, are, what are you planning to do to make, make sure the teachers know that they're, that they're valued here at CCSD?
2: No, and that's, um, you know, that's one of the things that we started to monitor our, our, our data for school because we do have some phenomenal schools that we have a very little turnover mm-hmm. up in transition. Mm-hmm. And we have some of those schools in very um, diverse communities. Where there's a lot, there's a high poverty, and teachers are happy, um, and obviously the leadership. And notice that I said it's a, it's a leadership. Right. Um, there's the second most important, and so we're we're looking at that um, information, and then we are sharing it with the principal supervisors, so we can then help the principals understand and you know, and collaborate with a group of teachers because you have to really stay focused on helping teachers improve up uh, and and you you have that's that's your number one job mm-hmm. and and we know that teachers that you know are leaving because of the support in some cases I'm, I'm hearing that so we're also improving our exit interview okay because when we started digging into that information in ccsd we were only collecting um, or we were also requiring for an exit interview for teachers that left zero to three years so if you had six years we never asked you why uh-huh. now we are going to and uh, nadine my head of hr is is putting together and we're working on an exit interview that we're going to kick off next year that is for be it, it's going to be for all employees okay because that is a huge issue it's hu- human capital it's our it's it's not only that because it's 88 percent of our budget but it's it's, it's that human element that mm-hmm. really makes a difference in, in a child's life.
0: So I want to move on here uh, and get back to budget a little bit. I have talked to a few principals, a handful of principals in this district in varying schools. Uh, many of them are worried that you're going to balance the, the, individ- the budget's on the backs of the school's carryover funds from years past, these are these are savings that that they put aside. Some principals have put aside for rainy days. Uh, how do you, can you promise them that you won't do that? You keep promise you have promised them in the past, but now that we've got this crisis, can you still promise that?
2: Well, one of the things that you have know, we've promised that in the past, and obviously under AB four sixty nine, you know this. Mm-hmm. And that's been a challenge, right? This district has always balanced the budget up in the past and and one of the things that we worked really hard um was to um to make sure that um we had a balanced budget as we reported we reported to the board right. already Jason Gowdy, where not only it's the carry forward but the supply money, and then we do have some money but under a b four sixty nine that is a decision of the building principal was in and, and, and I know I'd appreciate this from Rebecca to understand that it's part the SOT is heavily involved mm-hmm. in making those decisions at the school level. Um, you know, whatever that number is, we have to um, we have to find where we're going to get the resources. So um, that'll be a decision that obviously I will have with the team. And, and I'm going to tell you, um, I, I've had already a round table. Um, with about 30 principals that we had conversations around what the budget deficit. So whatever that number is, uh, we'll come back to the building principals and also with the central team to make some of those decisions. And again, collaborating with our leaders and with our, um, with our team.
0: Okay, so um, I want to follow up on that. The The SOTs do make those decisions. I think what the principals are afraid of is if, say, they have – uh fifty thousand dollars in carryover money money. I'm just sort of like guessing here and uh and their um budget is a million dollars. They're afraid that you're going to give them only nine hundred and fifty thousand dollars. Is that going to happen?
2: Well, um right now they already we already gave them their strategic budgets and they're already they're already balanced our budgets. Now we have to go back once we know what that number is. Um there we're gonna have to go back um to make some decisions around it. But here's here's where we are. Obviously there's there's around ninety million out in schools um for um from carryover, from supply and from SLA that have not been spent. And remember um that those are some of the um you know, and obviously that's out in the school budget. It's it's in school reserves. mm
0: mm-hmm.
2: Not so much um, you know, in um in, um, in well, it's, it's really from attrition and then supplies, and also, like I mentioned, as well with uh, the SLA that did not, were not spent because obviously the school year closed.
0: Okay, so one other question. This is not having to do with COVID 19, but there were, the, there was an issue that was in play before we hit this uh, pandemic um, that people, the teachers were not getting paid for prep periods. I am hearing yeah. that this is still a problem. I would have thought they would have had two months and that would have been, have been fixed by now.
2: Yeah, you know what happened? And actually, we're going to have an HCM update. Um, we had our, if you recall, I brought in, because I was just as frustrated um, as the teachers, the substitutes, and bus drivers. Um, I brought in a, um, a recovery consultant. Um, he will be reporting to the board on the 14th on the status of where we are. The latest on the prep buyouts, what happened, um, that now in the past it was only for, you know, they could only submit it actually um, for the one pay period. And now, depending on when it's submitted, it gets paid either on the 10th or on the 25th. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, communication, and uh, part of the training, and that's what I said to the team. We can't blame the end user when we, did not communicate. So again, communication went back out, up and it was addressed. Um, and I'm going to tell you, I I, I, um, I got the report um, today um, from the consultant, and there's things that we certainly um, could have done better in the implementation before going live.
0: Okay, so we will keep following up on that too. Jesus Jara is the superintendent of CCSD schools. Thank you for talking with us today. This was a good interview, both you and Rebecca. I very much appreciate this.
1: Thank thank you, Dr. Jara. Thank you, Carrie. you
0: to come back. Thanks, Rebecca. I will let you know. Thanks. Bye. Well, another episode of Impact has come and gone. Thanks to Rebecca Garcia for co-hosting and asking excellent questions. And to Jesus Garcia... Uh, for the interview. Also, thanks to all of the stakeholders out there who responded to my questions and added their own. Impact is a co-production of Nevada Voice and KUNV, with CCSD Parents and No Racism in Schools. The music you have been listening to is Foster the People's Life on the Nickel and Vampire Weekend's Oxford Comma we're going to be back tomorrow at 7 to talk about budget issues. You can get this show and previous shows at kunv.org. I'm Carrie Kaufman. Thank you for listening to Impact. I'm Carrie Kaufman. Impact is brought to you by Nevada Voice, which is a journalism project exploring the education divide in Nevada. We are holding a fundraiser for Giving Tuesday, which is tomorrow. GoFundMe happens to be matching every dollar that we get, and we would like to get a few dollars and take some from GoFundMe. You can go to tiny.cc slash Nevada Voice and give whatever you can. Thank you for listening. And thank you for giving.